Good evening and welcome to our evening service. Welcome those joining us on Zoom as well. We welcome you all. We need to sing that song more often, don't we? Amen. Amen. Well, glad you are able to be with us tonight. It's a different night, and uh, we thought uh, it would be good just to remember a little bit. Now, those of you who knew Pastor Boyd uh, knew know all this, but looking back, and it was in 1936 that Pastor Boyd came to Sudbury after being called by uh, a few people. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Grigg were part of that and so on, basically. And uh, he retired in 1980. Uh, that's when he stepped down, and uh, some, sure, will remember Pastor Tullock came at that time. Now, the message we've chosen tonight uh, is a message, the only ones that were really uh, videotaped, that is, was, were the uh, messages on TV. So this is taken from uh, a television program, and it used to be called then the Berean Church uh, of the Air at times, or the Berean Church Service. And uh, the other one that would be, oh, the same Sunday, but was it half an hour later, the uh, Evangelical Answer. Some will remember that as well. So there were the two programs that he had. Uh, the names changed later on, uh, and uh, some of you will remember that too. But tonight's program, uh, August 1990. So you will hear some of the things when he begins that will, now that you know it's August 1990 or August, uh, that'll explain what he's talking about before he gets into the message. So for now, I think uh, let's just go to that. I'll turn some lights off here. The Berean Baptist Church Service, conducted by Reverend J.R. Boyd, Director of the Bible Lovers Fellowship assisted by helpers from the Berean and Lansing Avenue Baptist Churches. These churches are situated at 95 Pine Street and 1174 Lansing Avenue. They extend a cordial invitation to share in the happy fellowship and scriptural ministry to be found in the services every Sunday morning at 10 and 11 and every Sunday evening at 7. Now, Mr. Boyd. Good part of the Berean church operation and some in which folks from Lansing are involved, is still carrying on at the Berean Children's Camp out at Larkshire. But now today I have a very heavy topic. I want to try to consider with you a bit this theme, using the devil to good advantage. Yes, there is a devil. That's the first thing. He's a real person, a spirit being. He's older than the world. God created him as a holy angel before he created any of this physical universe. He was one created endowed with great power. The devil's power far, far exceeds that which man in his natural state has. I don't know, just 
all that there is to know about the devil and his original condition. There are those who talk about Lucifer and about uh, some other described creatures in the Old Testament as being the devil. The Bible doesn't say they are. It doesn't say that Lucifer is the devil. It doesn't say that the son of the morning was the devil. It does identify human beings as having those names, the king of Babylon, the king and nation of Tyre, not the devil. But the Bible is very, very plain on the fact that there is a personal evil spirit being called Satan, the devil, the enemy of all righteousness, and uh, several other significant titles. That he's greater than man, but always subject to God's authority, is shown again and again. In the very interesting story of Job, we find the devil in heaven talking with God. But admitting that while he knew Job, while he knew all about that eastern farmer, he could not get at him because God had put a protective hedge around him. Unless and until God would make an opening in that hedge, Satan was prevented from reaching Job or from harming anything that Job possessed. He said, Lord, you take down the fence. And let me at him. I'll show. God said, all right. I'll move the fence. I'll move it right in where it's around Job only. Not around his possessions, not around his family, not around his wife. But just around Job only. Don't you touch him. God's word became a restraining and restrictive barrier against the devil concerning Job. And Job went, did just as much as he was allowed to do by divine authority. The devil is God's agent for some very important thing. He's God's agent for judgment, for inflicting punishment upon sin and sinners. He's God's agent for testing man, as he did in Job's case. Devil maliciously and slanderously reported in heaven if God did not protect Job, Satan could make him blaspheme against God and curse God. God said, you can't do it. Job did his evil utmost, or rather, Satan did his evil utmost, but Job remained true where God said he would. We have the story of David, the man after God's own heart. But David, as king of Israel, 
was a bit careless about the extent to which the people of Israel were unmindful of God. And God was angry with the people. And somewhat vexed with the king because he didn't exert more influence to restrain the ungodly tendencies of the people. So we're told that Satan stood up and tempted David to do something he shouldn't do. To do it in the wrong way. And when God let Satan at David, David was helpless as other men. The story is the same with Peter. Peter said, I'll never forsake you, Lord. No matter what anybody else does, I'll fight him, I'll die rather than forsake or deny you. Oh, Jesus said, Satan has desired to have you. I'm going to let him go farther than he has been allowed to do ordinarily. But I've prayed for you. I've done for you what I did for Job. I put a fence around your faith. I'm going to let the devil get at you. He's going to destroy your loyalty. He's going to overrule your love. He's going to override your truthfulness. He's going to make a liar out of you. But he won't be able to destroy your faith. I've prayed against that. Now when Satan came to Peter and found Peter depending upon his own self-confidence, he discovered that Peter was just as weak as anybody else. Once he abandoned his trust and dependence on the Lord to protect him against denying Christ, he was just as easy a victim as Judas Iscariot was, who wasn't a Christian at all. See, that's a measure of the power of the devil. He has terrifying might. The story of Job, we see the devil demonstrating. If the Lord stepped aside, he is quite capable of controlling all the natural elements in this physical world. Man can't. We have no control over the wind and over the waves of the sea and over the lightning of the air and so on. We, we just can't control these things, but the devil could. And he did in the case of Job. He has abilities that man in his experience knows nothing about. He's a real person. He's a powerful person. He's a wicked, evil spirit. But he's subject always to divine authority. 
to the Lord's regulating power. The only place that we're safe from the devil is under the Lord's constant, faithful, protective care. No other way of safety. Well, that's that part of it. I want you to see some of the good uses to which the Lord sovereignly, himself, or through his Apostle Paul, used the devil. But before we do that, the choir has a message in song, and uh, it's good to hear it as they bring it now. about the devil. God's sovereign absolute authority and power over him. I want you to see some instances of God's use of him. We read in the early records of the story of Jesus immediately after he was baptized When he officially opened his earthly ministry, publicly demonstrated that he was there to be identified with the sins of his people, went into the waters of Jordan, was buried under those waters by John the Baptist, as a way of confessing the sins of his people. The Holy Spirit took him immediately after that, out into the wilderness to be tested of the devil. See, even the Son of God had to prove himself capable and willing effectively and completely to resist the devil before he was presented 
as the teacher and savior to sinners. She was there 40 days and 40 nights under the pressure of the evil one. Came forth triumphant and victorious. So, as in the case of Job, thus in the case of Christ, Satan became the means of testing. The Bible says God cannot be tempted. Neither does he directly tempt any man. Our temptations come from two sources. From our own evil natures. James says every man is tempted when he's led away of his own lusts and enticed. We in our natural state are devilish. From within us come temptations which correspond to that which the devil desires. We can't trust ourselves. Our hearts are deceitful above everything and dreadfully wicked. Then temptations come from outside ourselves, from the devil or his agent. But the Lord uses the devil. Sometimes his tempting devices to bring about the fall of those who have rejected the Lord as Savior and King. That in the story of King Ahab back in the book of Kings. God had ordained that Ahab should be killed because of his sin. Should not die a natural death. He had ordained that he should receive the mortal wound which would end his life at a little town that the Syrians had taken away from the Israelites, a town named Ramoth Gilead. Then we have the record there of a conference in heaven where the Lord said, Now who will go and persuade Ahab to go to Ramoth Gilead to keep my appointment that I've established for him with death? And an evil spirit became the agent for deceiving and misleading Ahab to his doom. We have some other instances of the use of the devil. There's a terrifying passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. No, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm sorry. For Paul is writing about a man that was in the church in Corinth. A man who was living with his father's wife and behaving toward her as if she were his own wife. Paul said such a sin as that, even the heathen wouldn't allow and wouldn't permit even to be mentioned as part of their lifestyle. Yet he said, you church, your foolish and excessive sense of generosity are proud of this man and of his behavior. Now Paul said, that's such a wicked sin, such a naturally rotten 
form of life. That I have committed that man to Satan. That his body may be destroyed. Satan won't be able to destroy his soul. He's a child of God. A child of God that's living like the devil. So I've committed him, turned him over, Paul said, to the devil. That he may destroy his body. I don't know what worse thing could happen to anybody. than just to be turned over to the devil, the destroyer of men. Yet Paul says that's what he did with that man in Corinth. wonder how many Christians are in that state today. They refuse to abide by the teaching and the rules of God's word. They have failed to be properly respectful of God's authority and of God's holiness and God's honor. And they've been committed to the devil. They're in the devil's control. They can't help doing wrong things. Because you see, they're not trusting obediently in the Lord. And if he's not working in them and for them, then they're helpless. As Peter was. When he went right ahead and denied the Lord, though he repeatedly said he'd never do so. Once he ceased trusting the Lord against that danger, he had no power with which to resist the devil. I'm sure there are a lot of Christians who are doing things they don't like to do. But because they're not properly trusting the Lord with obedient response of faith, they just can't help it. They need to get back in repentance. Back in the right relationship with the Lord. Back in the full reliance upon Him. His saving power may be applied to all the conditions and needs of their lives. I see so many stupid mistakes among people of God. I can't think they deliberately do these things. They probably, in their own hearts, wish they didn't do them. But they have no power against it if they're not obediently trusting the Lord in respect to issues concerning which they have some disagreement. We find another case in Paul's experience. He's writing to Timothy. Writing to Timothy about the church in the city of Ephesus. And he's writing about some who have departed from the faith. They have disagreed with some particular obvious form of teaching. 
preferred to accept their own ideas. And that has led them to express themselves in ways which were blasphemous, utterly unworthy of the Lord or his people. Paul names two of them. He said, Hymenius and Alexander, and Alexander have done this. And I have delivered them onto Satan. They may fall under his vicious control, suffer the consequences, until they learn not to blaspheme. That's a strange combination of situation, isn't it? Children of God, saved by his grace, kept against the devil's complete destructive power for eternal benefits, but temporarily, perhaps for the rest of their lives here, subject to the devil's manipulation, to the devil's vicious control, to the devil's perverting evil influence. Paul says he used the devil to teach Hymenius and Alexander the lessons they needed to learn until they would stop blaspheming. See, life isn't nearly as simple as some of us think it is. The dangers of the Christian experience are far more numerous than most of us realize. The devil is always waiting in readiness to manipulate the children of God if we cease fully, obediently, to trust and obey him. I trust that this simple message, very serious message, may sink into many hearts and minds. If I can help you further, understand and to realize these serious facts, please get in touch with me. I want to help. I don't want the devil to have grounds in the life of any Christian. May you trust the Lord and obey him for his name's sake. Do it now and always. Amen.
just watched the Berean Baptist Church Service of the Air, conducted by Reverend J.R. Boyd, assisted by helpers from the Berean and Lansing Avenue Baptist Churches.